We have uh, this morning a uh, a message called the heart of the matter. We we got we we've been kind of beating around this the entire sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know. Uh, there's something about the heart of man. In the Bible, the heart was a place where we made our decisions, where it, it, it responded to sometimes what our conscience would tell us right or wrong, but the heart is really where we make decisions on what we're going to do with it. The heart is where we find a vision for our life. Our heart is where we find purpose. Our heart is where our goals come from. And Jesus is gonna, has been speaking into this for his disciples and the Pharisees that were around him in this sermon uh, on the mount. Uh, and we, we talked last week, if you remember, uh, he's moving here as he talks, as we're going to read through these verses. And we're taking a big chunk of this chapter this morning. We're not going to go through verse by verse because most of this are examples. Most of this are examples of what we talked about last week. The fact that he gave us in the Old Testament, we had laws, we had rules we were to follow. Uh, in the New Testament, we find mercy and grace and good news that Jesus Christ followed all those rules and we can have righteousness in him. Uh, and he's digging deeper. He's going from just hear the rules and hear what I want you to do. And he's given the why, he's given the intent behind the rules. Remember last week I talked about our kids, uh, Rosie and her cousin Hucky, and they'd be in the back seat and uh, they'd be just totally, you know, picking at each other, touching each other, you know, when one turns around until it turns into some kind of fight. Uh, and and we we set a rule, right? When the kids are doing that, we say, stop touching each other. And that is just on the surface, external. We want you to stop doing that. What Jesus is getting to here and what we want to get to as parents is actually, I don't want you to just not touch each other. I want you to care so much about the other person that you don't want to aggravate them, that you don't want to make them miserable. And this is what Jesus is going to do today. And uh, so he lists out, we're going to look at six different things here, six different uh, um, things that the, these disciples and Pharisees understood one way. And he follows all those up with uh, these words, but I tell you. And he adds deeper and he adds, he adds depth uh, to what he's told them in the past. Um, and this is, uh, this is something we want to talk about before we get in. This is, uh, uh, Harker's going to make the big screen today, uh, live streamed on YouTube. Harker's our, uh, mine and Bethany's son. He's 16 months old, uh, and he's just a, a ball of joy. But there's no place that you can understand our nature better uh, than, when, uh, than children because it comes out right naturally the way they behave, behave and the way they act. Uh, this is a great, uh, there's this some great examples. We posted these on Facebook. Uh, he went through this little, uh, you know, season of life where it was temper tantrums when he didn't get what he wanted. And, uh, you know, we just thought it was, he's in an age you can't teach him not to do it. You just got to get through it. And, um, but this was one that says, when you're not allowed to eat the diffuser, he was trying to get a hold of the diffuser and threw an absolute uh, fit. Uh, right, just temper tantrum because he can't get to the diffuser that was in the living room. Uh, this one is, you know, we were at Bob Evans and he was wanting to eat the crayons, which I understand. You know, I had some friends back in the day in uh, kindergarten loved crayons, especially gray. Said it was the best. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't advise it. Um, but when he couldn't eat the crayons, he threw a fit. Um, and uh, this is a great picture of, of that. Uh, and this, we were at Food City, and I was trying to get Apple Pay to work to check out at Food City, and uh, it, I just couldn't get it to work, and he was getting impatient. And so uh, this was the fit he threw at the cash register uh, at Food City. But 
Check this picture out. This is when you're allowed to eat unlimited dressing and mashed potatoes. He's happy, smiling, right? So why, why do I show these pictures? Uh, here, here's what I want us to understand and where I want us, our hearts to be before we dive into this message, what Jesus is really trying, trying to tell us. Uh, sin is not just something we do. It's the nature we have and we're born with. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, many times growing up, I felt like sin was just a thing I did, and it was got to be a checklist, and I got to do less of it to make God happy. And, uh, and, and this getting understanding what Jesus is telling here, I'm going to talk about the things he's going to accomplish in this, this time, uh, but what he's teaching us is sin is not just murder, it is not just adultery, it is not just divorce, it is the nature we were born with, and you can see this in children. You don't have to teach them to throw tantrums. You don't have to teach them to try to lie and be sneaky. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to be jealous. Because of the fall and because of what happened with Adam, all of that comes natural to us. By our nature, we were born into the curse of sin. By our nature. Sin is not just something we do. It's the nature we have and we were born with each and every one of us. Um, I want to, oh, here's the picture just to give you a reminder of where we are at Sermon on the Mount. This is a picture of the place uh, by the Sea of Galilee where Jesus could have possibly taught his disciples, very likely. Let's start here. I want you to come here with me uh, as we go into these, these, these verses in Matthew chapter 5. This is from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Above all else, this is Solomon, one of the wisest men from the Old Testament. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Why would he say guard your heart? These things we're going to talk about today when we spend some time with Jesus in these verses and we get to the heart of the matter. Here's what I want you to understand. Every day you wake up, there is a battle for your heart. There is a battle for man's heart. Between good, between evil, between righteousness and God and Satan himself. Satan is using all kinds of different tools coming at you, trying to get a hold of your heart. Trying to get control of your heart. And Solomon tells us with great wisdom here, above everything else, Guard your heart because it's the control center of your life. Uh, Luke chapter 6, 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your life becomes like your heart. Great words, great thoughts to get started I ask you this this morning who's in control who's in control of your heart if you've given your life to Christ we find that his spirit comes and lives inside of you and gives you a new heart and takes control and you begin to mature and you begin to grow more and more like Christ before you give your life to Christ your heart is out of control 
this morning, again, we're going to use these high expectations that Jesus gives us. They remind us that sin is our nature, not just what we do, to point us to the simple fact that we need him. Three things uh, Jesus um, uh, does here in this scripture is, one, he's going to destroy any, uh, any hope of self-righteousness you have. Any, any, and I, any level of, of thought that, man, we think, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good at this. I've never murdered anybody. You know, I've never robbed a bank. Any semblance of that that you think you're good and you go to church every Sunday uh, and, you know, I've earned this grace that God has given me um, and I've earned the love that he's given me. He is going to, for these disciples, for the Pharisees, he wipes all that out right here. Self-righteousness, you will have none at the end of this message today. Because he digs into our heart, and we find we all have a sinful nature. Um, the, uh, he moves beyond just rules, gets to the intent of the rules. So here, that's the self-righteousness part. Um, the, the second thing here is he, he does give very good practical advice. There are things here that it relates to divorce, adultery, uh, anger, and, and, and revenge, uh, these are actually very practical things. That whether you're a Christian or not, if you do them, your life here will be better. Things will be better. Relationships will be better. You can make great progress. You, you can become a, a better leader. You can become a better friend. You can become a better spouse. There are practical things here. We're going to talk through some of those. But don't ever get confused and think by doing those practical things, you're getting closer to heaven. But we're going to talk about them. But we find that when we get our heart changed, we want to do those things because Christ has saved us and he loves us. The third thing he does is he really gives us a six-pronged test, if you will, if you're a Christian, to say, man, where is my heart? This is, this is like a heart check. This is like a spiritual uh, heart cath to find out where are we in our spiritual relationship with Christ. And so that's the three things he does here. We're going to walk through uh, th- these verses um, and, uh, and, and, and let God check our hearts. God, we bring you our hearts today. God, this space that we hide from so many people. God, we put things on the outside to create some appearance. But we all know that there's brokenness in our hearts. There's sin in our hearts. God, we ask you to check it today. God, we, we ask for, uh, it, for those who have never given their heart to you that today would be the day they would just release it. Invite you to come in and take up uh, the space, the void in their life and live their life for you. God, we pray that as you teach us these practical things as Christians, we could do a better job of having the actions on the outside reflect where our heart is on the inside. God, we pray you guard the hearts of these people. God, in this time that we know is more difficult because you and your word are so specific about community and the importance of your children, your people being together. Here's Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. We find Jesus here is digging deeper. That, that the fact is that uh, if you have murdered someone, everybody knows pretty much every civilized society has said that murder is wrong and punishable and should be judged. What Jesus goes deeper here and says, actually, the, 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 the action of murder is a symptom of something's deeper and it's anger you've not dealt with. And he teaches us 
Uh, it says, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Actually, if you've got mad enough about somebody and the thought crossed your mind of murder, if you just harbored ill will, malice for a specific person, then you're guilty of this. Then you uh, have sinned. He goes on, and I don't have the verses uh, on the, the screen, um, but he goes on to say things like, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. He's saying, you know, this is the, this is the attitude of looking at somebody and saying that you're better than them or you're above them. Like, ah, oh, idiot. Why are they doing that? That's, that's Raka. That's, that's contempt. It's like, ah, oh, you're an idiot. Let me show you how to do it. I know how to do it. I'm better than you. This type of attitude is what Jesus uh, is speaking to. He goes on to say, if you come in to offer gifts and you have, uh, you have this broken relationship, you've got some uh, situation that has not been resolved, that you're harboring anger, uh, he gives some really practical advice, some practical advice for you this morning. God calls us to go to that person and make an effort and an attempt to reconcile doesn't mean it has to reconcile. doesn't mean you, if you've got a broken relationship that you are in sin or you're, you're, you're making this, uh, you know, that you are the cause of this. But if you've given some effort and you've dealt with that anger in your heart, it's important to do. So he goes from murder, the physical activity, the thing that you would do to digging deeper for these Pharisees and his disciples and said, actually... You've got to deal with the anger. We find this one is really dealing with friends. How many times and how often does our anger spill out in the worst way to our closest loved ones? Yeah, we will talk to our spouse and our kids like we would never speak to our neighbor. And we'll find ourselves that we are quick to apologize and feel bad for things we said, words we said. But then it happens again because we've not dealt with the heart of the issue. We've not gotten to the core, the anger, the things that are boiling up inside of us over things we've never even told people about. And God says, that's where I want to get to. I want to get to that, that core thing that, that has you all worked up. I don't want to just give you rules and say, don't yell at your spouse or your children. I want to get to your heart and I want to make it new. This is what he's saying here. The next thing he looks at, he moves from murder and anger and then he goes to adultery. He says, you have heard, in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, pretty much uh, everybody understands that that is not a good thing to do. Uh, but he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is, uh, this is one that you need to take some time and think about. I think we probably feel like in our culture, you know, this, this idea uh, of lust has, has grown out of proportion, that maybe it's just come back on the scene. You know, it, you know I just, you, you saw people, if you watched the Super Bowl this year and the halftime, uh, you know, concert. And you think, man, the country's going to, 
going to pot because people are just bought up in this idea that sex sells and that lust uh, is just coming back on the scene. And what I want you to understand is this is 2,000 years ago. Our creator speaking, understanding by nature, every human being deals with this nature of lust. 2,000 years ago, he spoke to these people on this hill by the Sea of Galilee about this, about this nature, this internal desire of, of lust, to look after someone and make them an object for selfishness. This is what he was speaking at. He's saying, yeah, adultery is bad. But what I want to get to is the core of the thing that led you there. You had unchecked lust. You were doing things. You were thinking about them. You were, you were, you were looking them up on, on Facebook. You were Snapchatting them. You were doing all these little things. You were going to websites you shouldn't go to. You, you, you were looking at pictures and videos, things you shouldn't be doing. And you let that go unchecked. And he said, I want to get to the core, not just don't do this, don't just not have adultery. He says, if you're even thinking about it, you've done it. This is just blowing these people's minds where they thought they lived under the rules of the Pharisees that said, if you just don't do this, you're okay. Jesus is saying sin is not just something you do, it's your nature. And we've all fallen short he gets pretty pretty difficult um on this and this is one without a doubt i said earlier that the devil's using tools to get control of your heart uh absent the presence of christ i want you to share i want to share with you that that lust and, and sexual sin can absolutely take control of your heart this is a tool the devil uses to distract you from all that is good. And let me tell you, there's some very practical things here too, whether you're worried about heaven or hell or not, but if you care about your family, adultery tears families apart. It has impacts on your spouse. It impacts on, on extended family, children. It has, it has all these ramifications that in very real sense today, it matters what you do here. And dealing uh, with lust can be the precursor. Thinking it's okay is the first step down a very slippery slope. He goes in pretty you know, strict, strict, uh, uh, strict words here. He says, "Hey, uh, actually, uh, if you're if if you're dealing with this, um, and many of you've heard these verses, it says if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away." He's speaking figuratively here, right? He's not really saying like, hey, you know, um, um, you know, if your right hand does something bad and you can't stop it, cut it off. You'd be better than that. You'd better go without one hand than, than to go to hell with both. He, he is speaking figuratively, but I want you to understand in this figurative language, uh, he is uh, absolutely telling us we've got to deal with this seriously, how serious this is. He's getting to the heart of the matter, and the heart of this matter is says, if you don't deal with this, it will take over your life. It will destroy your life. Good news today is you can be free from that. You can be free from the lust. You can be free from the way the devil gets a hold of your heart and drives you toward bad things. 
Jesus is telling them here, you can be free from this, uh, these, what we call works of the flesh. He says, you can be free from them. We'll get to it in a minute where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. This is a battle for your soul. Anger. It'll get a hold of you. It'll take you away from God's purpose. You, the longer you, boy, it'll affect your health. Uh, this lust will destroy you. It will distract you from God. It'll distract you from the good things in your life. And all these things are built upon selfishness. The next thing he says, which uh, makes sense to move on from adultery to divorce. Verse 31, it says, It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Here's this beautiful words, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman, a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, uh, I want, uh, this is a huge topic, right? We could have we done a whole sermon on this. Um, and so I want you to understand a little context who Jesus is talking to here. He, in, in the Old Testament, uh, they, they just, before Jesus came, before he said this, the tradition had become, hey, if you're going to get a divorce, just do the right thing and take care of the other person. You know, get, get an actual certificate of divorce so that they can go on and remarry and, and create like this. Uh, uh, it, it became very casual. Marriage had become very casual. So you could divorce for this or that um, and, then, and then move forward as long as you took care of creating a situation that was helpful to the other spouse. Jesus said, it's not enough just to give a certificate of divorce. He, he makes it a little deeper. He says, actually, there's only one reason that I, I, I will say justifies divorce. Or it gives an gives a opportunity or an excuse for divorce. And anything beyond that means you're going to commit adultery. Now, people have spun this one uh, from a legalistic standpoint uh, completely out of control. Because the question always becomes this. Uh, and we've dealt with it in so many ways. I don't mean to get too far into this. But people are watching right now. You've been divorced. You're remarried. You may be facing a divorce right now. You're coming from all kinds of different walks of life. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ can love you right where you are. Your ability to have a relationship with him does not depend upon what you've done or what you've done. It, it is about your heart for him. Are you willing to give it to him right now? So typically the approach to this is, hey, what are the right rules? What are the times, uh, and you hear this question, when are you allowed to get a divorce? When are you allowed, like all of a sudden somebody commits adultery, check that box, now I'm out. God says, uh, he, 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 he says that's okay when there is sexual immorality. But let me tell you where the gospel heart says, when you have the heart of Christ, is that you are doubled down on your commitment to your spouse. That you are open to forgiveness in difficult situations. Actually, that you would go and put yourself at the bottom of the rung and do your best to make your marriage work regardless of the circumstances. I know there's times that doesn't work out. What Jesus is getting to here is, again, the nature of us. Our nature to be selfish. And he's speaking to them saying, actually, just divorcing for whatever is not enough, you're actually still living in sin. Guess what? We're all still living in sin in some way. 
Is it, you know, you get the, the depth of the questions. Well, they, they were, uh, you know, they've been married and they were divorced. Now they've remarried. Can they, are they, are they going to go to hell? You don't go to hell based on what you've done. You go to hell based on your, whether you had faith and accepted Jesus Christ or not. Now, I will say someone who's professed Christ, and we, we look at our, 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 our leadership of our church. If you're going to be in a leadership position, uh, we, we believe, I believe, that the, one of the core requirements of being an elder or deacon says above reproach. After you've given your life to, to Christ, what kind of fruit has been born in your life? How have you lived? Are you above reproach? Does it look like the fruits of the Spirit or are, 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 are you're bearing those types of fruit? And we think that's important. Before you came to Christ, we've all got baggage and things that we're coming with. God is not that legalistic. He is looking for a heart that's after him. A gospel heart seeks, how can I prevent divorce? Christ comes in in broken families all the time and mistakes you've made and you may be remarried and you've got a mixed family with different kids. Let me tell you something. Yes, it's going to be hard. There's ramifications of that that you're just going to have to deal with. But Christ can be right in the middle of it. He can build new relationships. He can restore. He can do things you can never imagine if we just invite him in. Next, he goes on to talking about uh, oaths. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. All right. Then he says, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. I'm going to skip a couple verses, verse 37. He says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Talking about oaths, he's talking about probably at that time, and sometimes we'll do this. God, if you just do this for me, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I'll love you and I'll serve you. They become very casual and become selfish. It also becomes, uh, and what he's really getting to here is about integrity and honesty uh, as opposed to deceit. He's saying that as people of faith, we should have such a reputation of integrity. Uh, if, if everything you tell somebody, if they're doubtful, and you always have to say, I promise, that's the truth, this is really what happened. He's saying we should live a life in such a way that when you or I say yes, People know it will happen. People know it's true. Can we all say, yeah, everybody I know, they would say that about me? Probably not. Can we all say I've dealt with anger in my heart? I don't have any anger about anybody or anything. I'm not mad. Probably not. Can any of us say, I've never lusted? Probably not. Can any of us Say, in my marriage, I've gotten pretty selfish at times and I've looked for ways out that I've thought about what you know, what's God says is okay. Probably not. He's getting to our nature, not just what we do. The next one, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat uh, as well. He goes on. I don't have them up on the screen, but if you've got your Bible with you, you can read. It says, if anyone wants to 
uh, anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from them, the one who wants to borrow from you. This is this idea of revenge. He says, you know, turn the cheek. Don't just go back uh, and attack somebody who's wronged you. Don't think about how to get back to them. And if somebody's coming to you trying to take advantage of you, be careful. Don't let people take advantage. But come to it with a heart of compassion. Double down on compassion for people. He's speaking to the depth here. And, and I tell you, this is one we all deal with and struggle with, right? I mean, we want, it, we want people to get what they deserve, especially ones who have wronged us. The last one that we'll talk about, these are the six, uh, these six points that we can check our heart. This is in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's pretty easy to do for the most part. Unless you've got a crazy neighbor. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. Here he just flips this on their mind or on their head. These people, these disciples, the the Israelites, the nation of Israel who've been looking for a powerful king to come lead their country, uh, uh, to to revolt and take back their freedom from Rome. And here's Jesus, the Messiah, the one that had been promised, saying, actually, if they're hitting our cheek, we should turn the other cheek. Oh, this was just, what? No, we need a strong battle, a warrior. And Jesus said, not in this case. Humility, compassion. He says, actually, your enemy, Rome, you should probably pray for them. Do you care about them or do you look at them as they walk by and you get mad? The depth he's getting for them and their nature is the same for us. This is, he, he's digging deep in our hearts, again, to remind us that we need him. Some practical things that come out of this. Reconcile with those you're angry with or have a disagreement with. This week, reach out to them. Work to rebuild that relationship. Two, double down on your commitment to your marriage and your spouse. Ask yourself, are you making it stronger? Are you doing the things, are are, are they the number one priority in your life? Are you trying to make life better for them? Or are you so bitter about what they've done to you, you can't even look at them? God is getting to the heart of this. Double down on your marriage and your spouse. Are you making it stronger? Are your actions tearing it apart, breaking it down? Is lust running your life? Just a real practical piece of advice here. This, where this starts is with some accountability and confession to somebody, somebody you trust, somebody who's a strong Christian, a mature Christian, could be your spouse. You just did wrong to me, and it, it doesn't really hurt me. Like, I still care about you. I don't understand this. You know, somebody just recently took membership in the church, their thing, uh, their, their uh, little statement or their testimony, they got saved here, they got baptized here. They said, like, I'm wanting to serve other people. It was literally what it said in the testimony. I don't understand that. I've never felt that way before. 
That's because Jesus Christ is saying what is anchored here is what I can do when you let me in. When I get a hold of you, your heart becomes new. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That's the risk. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen to this. All of us live there. All of us. We were born into that curse. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, not because we tried to do harder, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That grace, that mercy is the thing we want to share with others. Galatians chapter 5, Paul wrote, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says against such things there is no law. The law can't change your heart. The law can't bring you righteousness. It says, but those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, this virus, the COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, we're seeing things, and it's like any other virus, right? Terrible symptoms. We're seeing bad symptoms, fever, cough. You know, seeing different reports of difficulty breathing and, and nausea and all kinds of things. And we find that with a virus, the best thing we can do until there's, uh, until there's a, an established treatment or a vaccine is treat the symptoms. What I don't want you to do this morning, if you've never given your heart to Christ, is to just try to treat the symptoms, to take this practical list and try to be a better person. I read something this morning. I'm not a medical expert. Don't take this for medical advice. But it said that our greatest battle against this virus and most other viruses uh, is within the human body, and it's the fever. It's a fever. Uh, the, the, the more we can allow a fever to live a little bit, it's attacking and destroying the virus. It's inside of us. Here's what Christ is saying. I don't want to just treat your symptoms. I don't want to give you Tylenol for your fever. I don't want to give you this and so you don't, get, you don't have adultery and you don't get divorced and, and give you these list of rules so you don't murder people. He said, I want to cure the disease. I want to get inside your heart. I want to tear it apart and I want to rebuild it. And I want to live inside of you and breathe new breath into you. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. 
and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This morning, let's pray. God, only you, God, and me know what's in my heart. Each and every person that's listening, it's just between you and them. They know where their heart is. This morning, I believe your word is getting to the heart of the matter. They feel like their life, uh, uh, they just can't figure it out. They, they feel like they have no hope of heaven because they can't check all the boxes. And they can't do enough good. And all the while, you're standing with arms wide open and saying, that's why I went to the cross. You're saying, you checked, Jesus Christ checked the boxes. And then it invites us to partake in his righteousness before God. God, those of us who have given our heart to you and can see that fruit, this six-pronged six, this six test that says, wow, I'm not as angry as I used to be. Lust doesn't have the control it used to have. Uh, the, the, I'm not thinking about divorce. I'm thinking about forever as long as I'm breathing, serving my spouse. Uh, I, I, that, that I'm not dealing with having to uh, deceit consistently in my life. People are beginning to take me at my word because I've, Honesty and integrity are coming out of somebody, somewhere inside of me. God, I want to do good for those who have done wrong to me. God, I've been praying and loving my enemies. It's hard for me to have an enemy. Those that have that in our heart, God, let us take these practical things and try to work on them. Let us guard our heart because we know everything flows from there. Let us put your word in our heart. Let us make sure we spend time in devotions and, and worship with you as we have this time extra time let us fill it with good and righteous things god if we don't have that in our heart we looked at that and there's somebody listening right now that says my heart is stony it is broken full of anger full of lust that's about to destroy my marriage i'm looking for a way out of my marriage Nobody believes that word I've said. I've been caught up in so many lies. That's just spiteful and full of revenge. That believes everybody's an enemy. God, there's nothing they can do except pray and give their life and heart to you to change things. God, let us not treat the symptoms. Let us let you cure the disease. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.